Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome to This Thing Called Life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson, and we are very excited to have you here today and listening to our latest topic of discussion. We have with us a really special guest today, so I know you're really going to enjoy hearing more about her story. I want to welcome Miss Courtney Shaper. Welcome, Courtney. Hi, Andy. Hi. <laughs> we are so happy, or I am so happy that you're here with us on today's podcast. So why don't we start by just having you tell listeners about yourself? Okay. So again, I'm Courtney Shaper. I am one of the organ donation coordinators here at Life Center. I have been with Life Center, I think now for, I'm going on seven years, I think, six or seven years. And got started in this job. I previously was working at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center and was speaking with one of our volunteers who did some illustrations in her book. Oh, wow. And she was telling me what her daughter did. And at lunch one day, we we're just having a conversation. And she explained her story about how her one daughter was an organ donor. And then now her daughter, her other daughter, now works as a donation coordinator here. And I thought it was just amazing to hear her journey and her story and what her daughter did. And she's like, you should reach out to her sometime. So I did. And now who is one of my best friends, Christy Ann, also a donation coordinator here. Aww. I reached out to her and she's like, you should apply. And I did. And Missy Holiday, my director gave me a shot at the job. And now this, this is where I am. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that that was, that that was kind of what brought you here. Yep. So that's really interesting. Yeah. So can you tell our guests what exactly does a donation coordinator, mm-hmm. is that, am I saying that yep. right? What exactly, what does a donation coordinator do here at Life Center, and you're a, you're a senior donation coordinator. Yeah. So, so <laughs> well, what we do, we are more of. I'm on the clinical side mm-hmm. in Life Center, and we do a lot of the evaluation and medical management for those who decide to give the gift of life. So, in my role, a majority of our role is to. When we receive a call from a hospital, we do the initial evaluation of that potential donor, mm-hmm. and we sometimes go onto the site to the hospitals during that time to further evaluate, really making sure that you know we are going to maximize all opportunities and what opportunities those patients will be able to give. So really, kind of managing the the donation process. Right, right. And once it comes to the point that um, family has made the decision to give the gift of life, or if someone has registered and that is their wishes, we medical manage that whole process. So that process can last anywhere from 24, 
36, 48 hours. So we do the medical management of that. Then we also find those recipients. We help coordinate coordinate that process and then go to the OR with the donor and make sure all gifts go to where they need to be. Wow. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot happening behind the scenes. Yes. So in your role, then you said you're working to identify, I guess, different where, where organs could be placed. So then are you working with the United Network of Organ Sharing or how does that piece work? Yes. So we work very closely with what's called UNOS. Like you just said, the United Network of Organ, organ Sharing. That is where the quote unquote waiting list is developed. Mm-hmm. And we work off that to help find recipients. So obviously the sickest person within not to get too complicated within certain radiuses is who is first on the list. And we work with transplant centers to identify, is this donor the perfect match for your recipient? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize like it could be, you know, how sick are they? Are they too sick that they can get transplanted? Is size, size, different heights, weights, I'm sorry, height, weight, male versus female, can make a big difference if someone is a perfect match. Blood type. Blood type is another big, big reason. So we work very closely with them and helping see if the local donor here or wherever that may be. So to make sure that the donor and the recipient are the perfect match. And once that process, that transplant center says, yes, this is perfect for my recipient, we help coordinate that. So that is setting up transportation Mm. So is that flight? Are they coming on a flight? Are they coming by ground? Meaning is the the team that's coming Coming. in to recover? Correct. The organs for transplant. Transplant. Okay. Okay. Because it is the transplant center's team that comes in to recover those gifts. Okay. So we work closely with them. Um, Setting up an agreeable OR time Mm. because sometimes... You know, people can save up to seven lives. And sometimes that could be seven different teams coming into your OR. Right. So it's coordinating a time that works for everybody. And most importantly, the family. Yeah. The donor's family. And I know that's probably got to be somewhat difficult to manage because here you are kind of working against a really tight time frame and also balancing that with supporting the family. And we have another team on site or on a part of Life Center that facilitates that. And that's our family service coordinators. But how, like, how do you manage that balance? That's a really good question. I would say our first priority always is the donor and their families and what their wishes are. Mm -hmm. We would not be here today or we would not be in that process if, if that, donor or that family said yes to donation. Mm -hmm. So we really work hard at sticking to what their wishes are and what their plans are. Mm -hmm. And so you would be surprised in during such a traumatic time in that family's situation that this ends up being like the only positive thing for them. It is the silver lining. Mm -hmm. So when we do, or our family services comes in and speaks to that family, it brings a lot of relief. It brings a lot of hope to that family. So it's, it's always amazes me how families are like, whatever we need to do 
how much of our time that my loved one needs to help save someone's life. We are in full support. Wow. So, you know, it, it is a hard balance. It can be very hard because some families, they're, they don't have that much time. They're ready. Like, I mean, I always say I, I, I've never been in that situation, so I can't imagine what they're going through. But sometimes families are, their time frames are stricter. Right. But, you know, we really try to maximize every opportunity that we can for that donor and that family. Mm. So, and I think working with the transplant centers to make it balanced is just being honest and open with them and saying, you know, this, this is what the family has given us. This is what we have to do. And we will do everything we do to make it work. And fortunately or unfortunately donation does not happen nine to five. We work all night, 24 hours. It is a 24 hour clock that we are trying to make this process happen. So what's the longest that you've been up when you've been on a case? It's really good. <laughs> You're like, uh, I don't know because I've. I know. usually <laughs> tell people my average time. I am up from the time I get called, Courtney. We get a call at six thirty a.m. Mm-hmm. We report off to the team that's coming off at eight a.m. and we are on till eight a.m. the next day, and we're reporting off. So by the time you get home, I'm usually averagely up about thirty six hours straight. Oh my goodness! When we're on a case, yes, I would be a hot mess. You could say that. Um, there's how a truth. How do you like? How do you manage that? Like, I would just, I would be holed up in a corner somewhere. <laughs> I can't tell you the amount of times I have cried over, like, not having chicken in the refrigerator, or I know there's times like my mom would call and she'd be tell me something about bad that happened to her that day. I'm like, mom, you don't know what a bad day is. And I just start crying, you know, because it's just reality. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. no, your day's not bad compared to what I've just witnessed. Um, So it's good perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It really brings you a lot of good perspective and it, I'm not gonna lie. It's not easy. It's, I always tell people it's a lifestyle. Mm. It's not a job. It's a lifestyle. And that's a good way. (laughs) It's a lifestyle. I like many people on my team, they, I don't have kids, Mm -hmm. so I am able to go home and sleep. However, I don't know if you want to call about four hours, really good sleep, but you know, you go home you sleep what you can. You're, I usually mark that day off as useless. (laughs) I watch my, um, mindless TV, my Desperate Housewives of Real Housewives, yeah, Desperate yes. Housewives of Atlanta <laughs> or Beverly Hills, you know, yeah, that's what I watch to yes. kind of. That's my guilty my, my, pleasure. Yep, well. that is totally my guilty pleasure. Um, and then I'm usually in bed by you know eight or nine p.m. that night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep. So, obviously, this this position can take an emotional and physical toll. How do you, how did, what does self-care look like for you? So two points I'll make on this. I do have, I do, I try to do as much self-care as I can Mm -hmm. sometimes. (laughs) Maybe I'm not the best. And I think there, I, there's opportunities that I should take to do more self-care as you and many people know in our at Life Center. I'm very big in the CrossFit. Yes. I, that is my outlet for this job. I, especially people may call me crazy, but 
the day of a case and I'm going to be gone for 24 hours, I still get up that morning because that is my hour to myself to get my day started. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm at the gym at 6 a.m., like that is my hour and that is a way for me to get my day started and get my mind right. Sometimes going to the gym or even going out for a run, it's more for me and not anything else. It's just to clear my head. Mm-hmm. Um, another big thing, huge support system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think not only here, but outside of the job as well. I work with an incredible team. We all get it. Um, we always say, or one thing I also observed, it takes very special person to do this job because it isn't, it's not normal to be up 26 hours and to be on the emotional roller coaster of, you know, a family has lost someone, but on the other end, a family is getting that call that their loved one's going to be saved. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an emotional roller coaster, not also thrown in surgeons and physicians and nurses and all these personalities. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's a lot. And then working off of like no sleep, no sleep. I would be not asleep in the corner. I'd probably be balled up crying in the corner. (laughs) You're right. It takes a very special person to be able to manage all of those different dynamics and personalities. Right. So, you know, and then, you know, my team, like we get it. We understand if you come in a day and it's just like, you're crying at your computer over some unknown reason or you're just, you know, like you're just distant for everybody. Like your team understands. And then your family, they, they support you. They understand that like, yeah, you've been up, you may not be able to make it to a certain function or maybe you need time just alone, you know, to watch my real housewives Mm -hmm. of Atlanta, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, they know, okay, she just needs to be left alone. So I think that's a big way to management. And then another thing is, again, this job isn't for everybody. Some people, you know, Mm -hmm. tend to have a turnover in employees sometimes. And I remember my coworker, Sam Price. Mm -hmm. We all know Sam. He's been here for a long, long long time. (laughs) I remember someone asking him once, like, how do you do it? He's like, you know what? You just do it. If you love it, you just do it. And I think that was like the best advice I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. So you just, it's what we do. Were you ever at a point in your six or seven years here where you were like, yeah, I don't know that I want to do this anymore? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was definitely a time four years ago that I was like, I don't know if this is for me. I don't know if staying up for 24 hours is me. Is it the stress of this? Is it worth it? Like, Mm -hmm. is it worth no sleep and just this 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 constant weight on your shoulders? I wasn't sure Mm -hmm. if it was for me at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're young. I mean, you're, I don't, I don't want, young. Courtney just had a birthday on September 28th. I'm getting closer to the 40, so, so I'm not that young. She's young and beautiful. So I know, I'm, I just, it's kind of thinking back to that time in my life, like, I don't know that I, I couldn't be that selfless. I mean, and it really takes someone just with, a lot of compassion and empathy and just willing to make a huge sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so I know that that, that has to be tough sometimes. It is. <laughs> I can, I can only imagine the nice thing though with the team is there's a core group of you that have 
kind of been in this together for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I guess that has to kind of help as you're talking about support and people, like you, you've said, people get it. Like Mm -hmm. we get it. Yep. So it's like, you're, you're all in. Yep. And I think that that's amazing. And you guys have each other to lean on. So with, with the pandemic, what is, what has it been like for you and, and trying to manage the donation process and working with the hospitals? You know, I think I've really learned that and through this whole COVID process and learning about it is that in the beginning and still like, still don't know a lot about it. You know, like I remember when this first happened, like we had a huge, huge, I want, how do I describe that? A huge decline, I want to say. It did. We didn't have a lot of donors because we didn't know how that worked. I mean, we've been on units when people were COVID positive and we didn't know how that spread it so quickly. Could it have gotten to the recipient? I mean, sorry, the donor. And we have no idea on that unit from nurses coming back and forth. And we didn't know like timing wise, Mm -hmm. especially regarding getting tested for COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, you had some tests that took 24 hours. You had some tests that took couple of days, like, cause it was all new. Right. So, cause the COVID to test a, a potential donor, that test had to go out to Missouri. I understand. Um, we were sending it out for a little bit until we realized that, oh, maybe we can do it at university hospital. Right. So it was a huge learning curve, but they were everybody. still trying to kind of figure out what was going on there because right. they were expecting this onslaught of COVID positive, yeah. Patients. And it was a scary, scary time. It was a very scary time. And then you're also thinking of yourself mm-hmm. and I'm putting myself at risk of going into the hospital yeah. and possibly being exposed and bringing to my family, even though you did everything you could, right. like they still didn't know anything about it, of how much it could spread. Mm-hmm. So it was very scary and it was scary because it was unknown. Everything was yeah. unknown at the time. Yeah. And then even now, even though things have gotten more back to normal, because we've learned some about it, you know, there's people that have potential donors that possibly tested positive for COVID prior mm-hmm. in the co- past couple of months, but now they're testing negative. But on the recipient end, they don't know how that's going to be that as an right. outcome. Right. What's that going to transfer? So it's been very interesting that's, in those ways. That's one of the things, I like, as I think out into the future because I mean not I'm not a doctor or scientist by any stretch but my thought is that COVID is going to be here it's not going to be eradicated so from the donation side of things what does that mean because at this point if a patient or a potential donors is COVID positive then you don't proceed with donation correct but you know that's just one of those things where I'm like, well, will that stay, you know, stay in place or is that going to change? Or, you know, I also think about for people who've contracted it, like what are the long-term effects? Mm -hmm. Right. That's always the big question. Yeah. We, we don't know. And I know like even looking at the recipient side of things, I know, you know, when we've made offer the the teams, like some recipients do not live close to their transplant hospital Mm -hmm. and it's, hey, we have to bring this recipient in and they're coming from four hours away. 
we have to test them COVID, see if they're COVID. And that test can take so many hours to come back. Mm -hmm. So it was a huge game changer at first. Also, I know on like, we have our perfusionists that work here and they would fly out a lot and our transplant teams would fly out a lot. Well, that was kind of delayed, put on delay because a lot of hospitals, not just locally all over, did not want outside people coming in right, to protect right. their patients in their hospitals. Wow. Mm-hmm. But so we've got, we've kind of gotten through, I guess, the the really bad part of COVID and we're kind of in this place now where we there's, I think the, there's a comfort level mm-hmm. and, and kind of getting back to n- normal. And so are you seeing things that they're starting to level out? And oh, completely. You're like, <laughs> you're like, I'm busier than I've ever yes. been. <laughs> we are back on track. <laughs> yeah, there has been no slowing down in the last couple of months. So yes, we are back on track. Well, that's a good thing because then that means more lives being saved. It's very good. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. And I mean, not even like the lives being saved. I think we will all joke around and say, you know, during that time, like, oh my God, we just, we want a case. We want to be up for 24 hours. We want to interact because yes. like, we lost a lot of that. And, you know, it was sick because there was a lot more people that was waiting on the list that wasn't getting transplanted. Yeah. So I think in the end, like we were all very happy to be back Yeah, for back, many reasons. Back to that routine. Yes. And yeah. I totally get it. I <laughs> totally get that. So I want to take a turn here. Like we've talked about, you, you, You've been here for six or seven years, but at one point in in your career at Life Center, and I, I already get the sense that what you do is personal and it's very, like, it's important to you, but it, it really became personal and it really hit home. Um, so tell listeners, tell listeners about your story. So we go back to the question you asked me about... Oh, was there a time in your life that you didn't know if this was going to be your, if you wanted to stick this out? During that time, I wasn't sure. However, so that was, what year was that? It was 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2016. So yeah, so I started, yeah, I would have started 2014, so threes. So 2016, and um, I was actually at um, just observing at CrossFit Regionals. And I got a call from my brother. I'm sorry, it was my mom. Mm-hmm. And it was a Memorial Week Memorial Weekend. And she said, um, hey, Brian called. They went to the doctors because Sarah noticed his eyes turning yellow. Mm. And she said, Brian, you need to go. And he had some tests done. And, and she said that like his one of his liver enzymes or something was elevated and they're not sure what's wrong. Um, he was going to go get a CT and an MRI and not MRI, CT, I think it was at the time mm-hmm. to see what was happening. So, you know, of course I immediately called, I think Dr. Shaw mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I explained everything. He was like, Courtney, it's, it's fine. We should get more testing. Um, and I said, okay. And then about a week or so later, after my brother had gotten those test results, he called and he said, so Courtney, he's like, they're, they find it, they found a huge mass on my liver. Mm. Um, they're not sure what it is or how big it is. And he goes, um, you know, they're kind of talking transplant. And I said, and Mia, you talk about like just stopping dead in your foot steps. He's like, yeah, he's like, 
you know, they're, they're talking transplant, but that's like far down the road. Like they think that it's what's called a hemangioma and they think they can take it off or something, but you know, there's a board of doctors and stuff that's going to meet and discuss it and review everything. And we're going to get second opinions and stuff. And I said, okay. So I tried not to freak out, but of course, like any family member, you freak out. And, um, Brian, you said, yeah, Brian. Yep. Okay. And I said, okay. So time kind of goes on to sum things up and about couple, again, a week or two after that, he calls me and I hear my little nephew like in the background and as jokingly as me and my brother are, he called me and he said, Courtney's like, I think I'm going to need your liver. I need you to stop drinking. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I need you to stop drinking. I think I'm going to need your liver. <laughs> I said, okay. I was like, like, rewind. Rewind. I was like, wait a second. And FYI, I did not drink that much (laughs) socially. And, um, I said, okay. So I took a deep breath and I was like, okay. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, they found this mass. They think there's a chance I might need a liver transplant. We just got out of an appointment at the university of Colorado Anschutz medical center. And they seen this huge mass. And they said, it's pretty massive. They think there's a chance that it could be taken off, but they're still very unsure about it. Mm. Um, so what causes something like that? You know, a lot of people have these, a lot of people have these hemangiomas in their body. We see them on CTs all the time, but they're not as big as my brother's was. My brother's ended up being 14 pounds. Oh my goodness. Yes. So just attached to his liver. Right. Yes. Wow. So, and he's like, we're not sure yet. So as Mm -hmm. test kind of testing kind of went on and, you know, and sorry, when he did say that to me, like, Hey, this is, I'm going to need this. You know, my first thought was like, okay. I was like, do what I got to do. Like, yeah. Like, and honestly, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Nobody else is going to do it but me. <laughs> right. I'm going to be the one to save my brother's life that this is what's going to happen. When you and your brother, I mean, you, you guys have a special relationship. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, when I, unfortunately, when I was really little, I was about two months old or so, my father hit an accident and he mm-hmm. passed away. Mm-hmm. So it was just me and my brother and my mom. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother, he was pretty much like a um, father to me. <laughs> and um, to cry. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I feel like so lucky because he didn't have to be. And because um, my mom never remarried. She never, um, I mean, she dated, but never got serious. So um, he was always this father figure to me. And I was always so grateful for that. Um, wow. So our relationship was like, I don't want to say different. I mean, we were close, but we weren't super close because he was also like a dad. Right. He had Um, a, yeah, he had a different role in your life at such a critical time for you as a child. Right. So he had to step in and be someone that he didn't have to be. And how much older is he? Um, He is three years older than me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's exactly three years older than me. So... So he's always meant the world to me. Yeah. And um, I, you know, like, this is like the best thing I could ever do for him for what he's done for me. Mm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Ooh. I would offer you a tissue, but I don't have any. It's okay. There's, 
I just want to let everyone know there's like no paper products here because we run through them like hotcakes. Right. Because we're constantly wiping things down. <laughs> Doesn't help I'm a crier either. It's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Okay. So you said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to, no one else is going to do this for Brian, but his little sister. Right. And yeah. So what happened next? So... The original plan was Brian had some more testing and they put, um, he went and had kind of a stent put in one of his arteries and the attending that did that was like, got in there and came back out and said, um, this man's anatomy is not where it should be. Like it, there's some high pressure in there and you know, like this is a lot more serious than what I think we think it is. So at that time, they still had hopes to, again, and we do this all the time, like you don't know mm-hmm. really, truly, you can do as much imaging as you want mm-hmm. to see what's going inside your belly, mm-hmm. but you don't know until you're actually in the OR and you visually see. So still our intent at that time was Brian was going to be scheduled to, for surgery mm-hmm. and they were going to try to still possibly remove this mass. Mm-hmm. So... The original thought was I was going to be tested as a donor. So I went out to Colorado in Denver for two days of complete testing, blood work, CTs, meeting with um, my surgeon, meeting with psychologist to be fully evaluated, see if I was a match. Mm-hmm. And we were going to schedule surgery. And the plan was to, if I was a match at that time, mm-hmm. And when I, it was deemed that I was a match to schedule surgery, just as kind of a backup. Right. I was just Here's be, our plan B. Yep. If plan A did not work right. out. Right. So went out, did my days of testing and it was a long two days. Mm. <laughs> um, and then we waited and you talk about the longest, I think we did not hear anything for like three or four weeks. Cause you really didn't know if you would be a match. Right. And that when I say I'm like, I'm the one that's going to like help my brother. I think my family was more worried about if it came back that I was not a match. You'd be devastated. I would be devastated. Mm. And I'll never forget reading my own like CT results of my abdomen and like just bawling crying. Cause like Originally, what I read, I was like, oh, my gosh, you're going to think I'm not a match. And I remember just having, like, this breakdown in my poor kitchen floor and just, just That's worried. That's the blessing and the curse of you being clinical. <laughs> Correct. Because <laughs> any, uh, like, a lay person who, like, you know, person like me, I, I wouldn't know what I'm looking at. Yeah, but, and I, like, just bawling my eyes out uh, that I may not be a match. And then, actually, during that time, too, this surgeon that was going to be my surgeon, Dr. Pomfret, she was new. She was going to be new to the practice. She was coming from somewhere else and it was actually her and her husband. So they were, I was literally probably one of her first patients there. I mean, I don't know if I was first, but I was like one of them. Mm-hmm. So like they're kind of waiting for her to get into for her to kind of give her final blessing. Right. And and then it's it's weird how it all like how I got the news. I was actually on a case wow. with Christiane um, at a hospital, and you you talk about like an emotional day because unfortunately this was a family. I think this was a it was a DCD case, so donation after cardiac death. So mm-hmm. one family has decided elected to withdraw support, and 
you know, I just got like the best news of my life that I was going to be a match for my brother. But then I had to turn a switch a flip, uh, sorry, switch, <laughs> flip a switch <laughs> and um, be there for when a family was saying there. Be focused and be present right. for their family goodbyes. Yeah, worst day. Yeah. And that had to be so emotional. It was. It really was. And um, I remember like, I, I'm, remember seeing the number come up on my phone. I was like, Christine, I got to leave. And she's like, okay. And she knew what this call was going to be. And it was, it was very exciting. And she came out and like, we hugged and I met one of our other coordinators in the OR. And if anyone knows Patrick, he's a big guy. And he even started to cry in the OR because <laughs> he was so excited. Aww. But then I remember like, and just thinking like, God, oh, this poor family just lost their loved ones. And I think later on that day may have, um, had a little, uh, miscommunication with the doctor as well that ended up kind of like you know <laughs> busting my bubble too but it is what it is <laughs> you right back down the earth right um oh. so, <laughs> so it was determined I was a match and when the hospital called me obviously everything gets scheduled around the donor's time and we said an OR still with the intent that like I was going to be the backup plan. Mm, okay. You know, that okay. I, yeah. So they were still proceeding yep. with the plan to try to remove this mass. mass. Yep. From my brother's liver. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And so we scheduled it and ended up being October 18th, 2016. So we're almost so at our four year mark. Oh my goodness. I yeah. did not realize that. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So it was scheduled that day and obviously early morning as always. Uh, a lot of flights between that and surgery out and back between pre-op appointments um, and just getting ready for it in general. And that day, I'll never forget my surgeon, my brother, I wasn't prepped yet, but they had him ready to go and he got wheeled back and then they finally called me and they're like, you know what? We're going to go ahead and just have you go through pre-op, start an IV, everything. My surgeon came in, talked to me. She's like, Courtney, you know, it's probably going to be a few hours before we know because we don't know what's going to happen when we get in there. So I said, okay. And Christiane flew out with us. What and, did that mean to have her with you? Oh, it meant like, I, I don't think I could ever, I don't, I don't even know how to say thank you. Like, thank you is not enough. Like for her to be there at the most like difficult time of my life, not my life, but my family's life. Um, a lot of people may or may not know this, but like my mom, like her two babies were going into the OR yeah. and nothing's guaranteed. And, um, you know, not only did she lose her husband, but I had a little, little sister that she, she lost, mm. You know, my sister passed at the age of three. She was born before my brother did. So my mom's had a lot of loss in her life. And us going back, her two babies, her family, like Christiane was there to support her. I mean, not only Christiane, but like all my mom's sisters were out there except one because one had to stay back and take care of the farm. (laughs) And my grandma, you know, so, and, you know, we always say when people are going through a, such a tragic time, like they only take in about 10% what you say. So, and her being medical and Christiane, I mean, everyone has the pleasure of talking to her. She is great with her words. She knows how she to is. like 
comprehend things and um and explain it in a way way, that is under yes right so she was able to do that for my family and my mom so and her just I mean just her presence being there and the day before yes the day before we went for a walk and she made me laugh like Christine always has a good story. So, and she's a good storyteller. She's a great, great person. Um, so, it like, I, I, I thank you is not enough, but what do you say? You yeah. know, it's hard. Uh, so, my surgeon, she's like, it's going to be a few hours. Yeah. You know, you'll be fine. Um, she's we're just going to get you prepped and draped. And you talk about like a lot of things I like, I probably haven't told a lot of people, but. A, my mom and losing a child and her husband now or two kids, but like you have to sign paperwork of what happens if you pass away on the table? What do you want? What are your wishes? What happens if your brother passes away and we have partially removed your liver? Like, what are your wishes at that point? And you have to sign like, like shit got real at that moment. <laughs> shit got really real. It got yeah. real, like signing this paperwork. But you know, it's so fine. Christian says like, Courtney was like, you're going to work that day. Like you had your scrub cap and you're going to work. Like it didn't phase you. And I was like, cause that's what we do. Like, that's what I do. Yeah, It's always what I do. So the surgeon says, you know, three or four hours in like, okay, you know, Christian, it's like, oh, I'm going to go get something to eat. It's going to be a few hours. My family kind of skedaddles and um, <laughs> you're just laying <laughs> and I'm kind of sitting there. And next thing I know, of course, they put me right by the doors to the OR and I like, I just, you had this, you know, when you just know. Yeah. And I think, I think you knew. Yes. That it was, I, I don't know why I say that, but I'm just. You know, it's funny because me and my mom, we yeah. look, we said that, like going out and stuff, you know, because a lot of people did a lot for us and supporting us. Yeah. And like, there was a chance, like, maybe I didn't have to go back. Right. And my, me and my mom are like, well, you know, what do you say? Like, because people did so much for us. But, you know, she would say, Courtney, like, I just have this feeling. I just have this feeling. I said, you know what? I, I do too. Like, yeah. there's just this gut feeling. So it's by those OR doors and like, about, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes after Dr. Pomfret left saying it'd be a few hours, there's doors open and I see her feet walk across there and she comes in. She's like, Courtney, she's like, you need to go and you need to go now. She said, you're this mass on your brothers is ginormous. She's like, I don't even know how his liver is functioning with how huge this is. And it, I mean, wow. you talk about like things. That was just, it. It was, took it, was off. It, it was done. Yeah, it was done. It was give you some happy meds. Yeah. Call your family. Get in. Tell We're, them, you know, let's give them your hugs and wishes and stuff like and that. And let's roll. And let's roll. And mm. I remember calling Christiane. I said, hey, Christiane, um, where are you? I think she may have been in the bathroom. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> at that point, I don't know. And she's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm coming!" And yeah, it it turned from two hours to like twenty or thirty minutes, and I was rolling back. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. So, leading like leading up to this, did did your brother have any symptoms? On you know that he can recall, kind of looking back. It was the yellowing of the eyes, but now like looking back. He does. I remember him saying once he was playing with one of my nephews on the like floor mm-hmm. and he was like, he moved from his back to his side or something. He was, I remember just feeling this like shift. He's like, I didn't know what it was, but I just felt this shift. 
in my, like my stomach. And it was probably this, if you think 14 pounds, like I can't imagine. Yeah. That people don't carry babies 14 no, pounds. <laughs> no. And there was some other things that he may have thought, um, but he's not sure. But mainly it was like the yellowing of his eyes was mm-hmm. this big thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is mom, always an indicator. Right. And my mom's probably going to kill me if she hears this. And <laughs> she probably you, will. Yeah. But, you know, 14 pounds, obviously, it looks like my my brother had like what was called, like what people would say is kind of a beer belly. Beer belly. And my mom would always say like, Brian, God, you need to lose weight. You need to lose weight. <laughs> Well, right. needless to say, it was just 14 pounds mm-hmm. on right. him, you know, that wow. he'd be grown. And they, they believe that it had been grown for like decades. Like it had to be if it was 14 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you go in for surgery. Do they remove the mass or does, do you, can you talk to how that worked? Because I'm just, yeah, I'm so like intrigued about, I mean, just for something yeah. to be that big. And so, so. it's, it's crazy. Cause, um, so what they did, they removed the mass and his liver. So, okay. Yeah. They removed the mass and his liver. Cause it was, I mean, if I was able to show pictures, like it was his liver, like this mass was his liver. And that's what the doctor said. She's like, I don't know. It's like liver's functioning. This, like, this is his liver. So wow. they removed it and then they used I want to say it was just over 50% of my liver Okay. to do this. And going back to like all the CTs and stuff they did, I had, I'd had to look up how much my liver rate weighed. But my surgeon, when she was looking at it, even through CT, she's like, your liver is ginormous. She's like, I've never seen a liver so big. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. She's like, it's ginormous. And even when we had the follow-up CTs after it grew back, she's like, your liver is still ginormous. <laughs> so most people don't have that size. No. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one thing I'd like to, to emphasize to listeners. Courtney was a living liver donor, meaning a portion of her liver was removed and placed into her brother mm-hmm. uh, for transplant. And so your liver and what a lot of people may not realize is that the liver regenerates Mm -hmm. and so your liver regenerated back back to to its humongous size right and honestly (laughs) it only regenerated i think like about they say about 85 to 90 percent of its original size Mm -hmm. so i mean it was smaller but it was still ginormous still still ginormous (laughs) i guess it was meant to be given (laughs) well that's what i was saying that's what i was thinking right maybe that's how i mean this was supposed to happen right right and um you know, they joked around, they usually transplant. So my liver into my brother is usually the most difficult portion of like the surgery. But in this case, I said it was removing his because trying to like just move around it in the vasculature and everything, it took a long time. So yeah, our, I think, I mean, he was back there a little bit longer than me, but we were, it ended up being like a 10 hour procedure. So it was a very, it was a very long day wow. for my family. Wow. Yep. Oh my gosh. So tell us about post-surgery. So you finally kind of, obviously you've been out <laughs> Yeah. and you wake up. What's your, 
What what did what's the first thing you said? I know that was the, co that was coherent. First thing I know is vomiting. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do not do well pain meds, apparently. Oh. And God, I can't remember what I said. Ooh. But I remember just in getting sick. Christiane will tell you that as soon as like I guess I pressed the the pain pump, the morphine pump. She goes, as soon as you press that query, you were vomiting. And she's like, I'm trying not to freak out because your mom's in the room. Because like you're you're vomiting like almost like bile green she's like i'm hitting the call nurse button like trying not to freak trying out to so your mom calm. right so your mom doesn't freak out and she goes every time you would press that pain bump like it was just just vomit and the worst part about that is like your time like i will say i don't remember a lot of that until like day or two afterwards and still getting sick mm. but a fresh incision in your abdomen because my incision pretty much goes mm. Yeah. Um, oh, and then you're you're vomiting. I yeah. can't imagine. Oh, the, it, was, the pain. It, it was a little rough. It was a little rough. First days were a few. It was a little rough. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I, I, my brother went to the transplant floor, and I went to the ICU. Okay, because that's just their procedures. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that ICU stay, I don't remember a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> I was still on sure. my anesthesia meds. Yeah. Um, or coming off them. And then we were transferred. I was at, transferred up to the transplant floor next to my brother. It, it wasn't too bad, I will mm-hmm. say. It wasn't as bad as I thought. From a pain perspective? Or? Yeah, from a pain sp- perspective. I had, um, again, a, my big issue was the pain meds. Mm-hmm. Which got, that's tough for a lot of people to, to right. handle. I got, I was really sick. I am not used to sitting in bed. So I was also having some terrible back pain. Probably doesn't Mm -hmm. help. I wasn't drinking enough fluid. My kiddies were probably screaming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So that was, those were, that was rough for me. But yeah, those first couple of days, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. So talk about when you got to first see your brother. Um, So I first got to see my brother when they transferred me to the ICU to the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, poor guy, I think he was pr- maybe having a rough day that day, mm. but it was just, it was, it was just really good to see him. Like, even though he was a little out of it at the time and sleep in, like it, I just, I don't like, I just, I can't even describe how I felt like mm-hmm. it was great, but there's a picture that I have. And I think it's like a day or two after that, um, that I leave up, like in my house and stuff. And I mean, a lot of people may look at it and be like, well, this is kind of not a great picture of during the whole thing. This is the picture that you love, but it's a picture of like me and my bed and my brother, like sitting next to me. Mm. And like, we are like, I am just completely out of it <laughs> and he's falling asleep. And I just said, I like, I love that picture. Cause it's like, again, like him being there for me. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I was there for him, like here he is in my room. Keeping an eye on me. On yeah. You. Like, and we were just like hanging out and like, Again, like that is probably my favorite picture in the world. Oh, yeah, him just sitting next to me in my ICU bed, my not ICU, my um, just my hospital bed. Wow, and he was just like just there for me, like he always has been. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, what did what was recovery like for you as a living liver donor? So I will say, um, it was it was a little. I said right after surgery and stuff, like it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. That was not bad for me. It was the, after my 12 weeks kind of being 
laid up, Mm -hmm. that's when it got hard for me. Um, Mm. You know, because a, my lifestyle changed drastically, drastically. When I went out to be tested, my surgeon, Dr. Pomfret was like, I hadn't even been told I was a match yet, but I was just being tested to see if I was a match. She's like, you're going to stop drinking today. And if you are a match, you are not going to drink until a year after. Well, me at that time being I'm about to give my age away. Yeah, how old are you? I'm 37. Oh, Lord. <laughs> She's a little 37. She's look. She looks fantastic, and I I know for a fact she's in fantastic shape. <laughs> so you know, like being early 30s, like my social and my social life was going out, hanging out with friends, you or like having to, a drink or you two like to kick it. Right, right, and that was totally taken away. Like. And, and you did it though. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I remember being around you and you <laughs> yeah. just, it is what it is. Like yeah. I was, you know, I was going to save my brother's life and you know, that's, that's why I didn't drink. If someone asked me, I mean, they probably, they want to say something smart. They probably felt like, right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, well, this is why. <laughs> yeah. So is that real? Is that, is that for just for the health of your liver as it's right? Okay. And because Dr. Pomfret was new there, like my, um, actually my coordinator, mm-hmm. my transplant coordinator, she kind of still was learning her rules. So she even said to me, cause I asked her, I was like, you know, so what about drinking? Cause as everyone knows, drinking can harm your liver. Right. So it was really important for me to know, like, absolutely. Can I drink? Can I not drink? Right. You know, whatever that may be. And, you know, cause I do enjoy a glass of wine every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, I think you should be fine. Maybe a couple months after surgery. No. Well then Dr. Pomfret comes in after her and I asked her, thank God I asked her the same question. And she's like, Oh, nope. You're going to not drink after today. And you're not going to drink a year until afterwards. Thank God I had right. polished on the last <laughs> <bottle of> wine <laughs> that night that I would drink. <laughs> And it's, she just, I will say Dr. Pomfret, she's an, she's an amazing surgeon and mm. she, um, I don't know if I can say this on here, but she is a badass boss lady. I love it. I <laughs> she love is. It. Um, she's probably one of the top for living donation livers. She's world renowned. She's very good. And she's one, like, if she's going to do something, you as the donor are not going to mess it up for her. Right. right. <laughs> so she was just very strict yeah, and I appreciate it for that. Appreciate her for that. Yeah. So that was just her rules. <laughs> well, and those, I mean, th- these are kidney, living kidney donation. That's, you hear about that. That's, that yeah. happens a lot yeah. in the scope of, don- of donation. Yeah. Living liver donation not not as much. No, I mean even prior to even me being in this job at that time there's no living liver donation here in greater Cincinnati. Right. And I honestly I remember when my brother calling me and I'm like, "Wait a minute. Is that is that that that's the thing?" cuz I had to like <laughs> second guess myself because I was like, "Right. I'm not used to seeing it on this end." So yeah. and um it was, you know, going back to like my mom and hard like I'll tell you one of the hardest things when I went out there and my mom's a very strong woman. And um, when they brought us back and start talking to the coordinators and they're giving you statistics and numbers and because it is such a rare opportunity, I mean, the lady's like, you know, one in 200 people do not survive. Mm -hmm. But that number is based on that there is very minimal 
people that have been able to do this, but right. The denominator is so small. Right. But when you hear one in 200 people, donors survive, it's it's very scary. Is the, I remember I I knew of here locally, a couple of parents who were living liver Mm -hmm. donors to their, to their infant children. And then the only other case that I recall was reading in the paper. And this was probably eight years ago about a brother who donated to his brother Mm -hmm. and the brother who donated did not survive. And so when you were going through this process, like that was, I was just like, okay, God, you know, this, this has to go right. Cause Mm -hmm. I knew, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a, that's a serious, I mean, any surgery is serious, but yeah, it's very serious. And um, speaking of like recovery and stuff like that, you a lot of people, we're so surprised when they're like, oh, Courtney's not doing well. She's sick. Like it's a lot harder on the donor because you are taking someone, which my brother was knock on wood, fairly healthy. Mm -hmm. I mean, he went on a hike the day before surgery. Like you wouldn't know he was going to possibly need a liver transplant. And you are taking in any other circumstance, pretty much you're taking someone who's very sick Mm -hmm. and you are giving them something to make them feel better. Well, my body, I am perfectly healthy and you're taking something away. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, hold up. Your body's like, stop. What are right. you doing? Right. <laughs> I did nothing wrong to you. Right. So it ends up being a lot harder on the donor initially because your body is just in complete shock of what you just did to and it. Trying to adapt. And yeah, I tell you, the anatomy is something else. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that to be able to do that, first of all. Yeah. You know, so... What about Brian? So my brother, as of like today. Yeah, he, how's he doing? He's doing great. Oh. We have been very lucky. We did have a couple concerns about a year after surgery, I think it was, just over a year or so. Mm-hmm. And But things ended up being okay. I mean, we are very, very lucky because not every recipient is that lucky. Yeah, There's always... And he's still, things can change day by day, but people don't realize how bad. And I, even though like I'm his sister, and I still donate to him. Like he still can reject. Right. So he still has to take anti-rejection medication. So that, that has been a change, a lifestyle change for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, like, we're, yeah, again, like we're truly blessed. He is good. Yeah. He as healthy as he can be Mm -hmm. and he's back to hiking skiing I remember that winter he was able to take his youngest finally to go skiing you know put him up on skis that was always his dreams put his boys on skis and he was able to get you know Milo up on skis that winter so I think that was so exciting to see um so yeah he's doing good Oh, that's great. So October 18th, you said, is the four-year anniversary. Yeah, we are four years. Is your family going to do anything? Well, we're in the midst of a pandemic, so I guess that makes (laughs) it challenging, but... I don't think so. Um, Maybe five (laughs) years we'll do something, but, you know, I was, you know, my brother sent me beautiful flowers last year, and... I'm still waiting for this Ferrari to show (laughs) my door, if anybody (laughs) knows. Um, So... TX Jet, you know, obviously they donated their plane to help fly my family out there for surgery. And and so for listeners, TX Jet, that is private plane through uh, Indiana Donor Network. Yep. And in, they actually work with some other OPOs when we have to 
um, fly, fly out mm-hmm. to get organs yeah. and that sort of thing. So we work, they are a partner of life centers yep. and of others. And I'll yep. let you take it from yeah. there. And, you know, they, they donated, I guess you could say a flight and pilots or whatever. Yeah, um, their services. Flew, yeah, their yeah. services um, to fly my mom, me and Christiane ended up flying out there. And now it's funny. I'm really good friends with the pilots and I've seen them at conferences. And Jamie, he he laughed. He's like, you know, your brother owes you Ferrari. Like, you better have Ferrari when you, when you, when you leave that hospital. I'm like, yeah, I know I better. So it's always a running joke every time I see him. Like, did you get that Ferrari yet? I was like, no, not yet. But, you know, I never, ever would respect. I mean, right. I think the greatest gift in return is that my brother's still here. Mm-hmm. So him being here is the best gift and that I could have. Watching those boys grow up and yeah. teaching them how to ski and yep. <laughs> being the great dad that he is. Yeah. Aww. That's awesome. Yep. Is there anything else you'd like to, to share with listeners in regards to your experience? Hmm. Let's see. Would you do it again? Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. I would definitely do it again. You know, it's funny when I like went through this, a lot of people would be like, you know, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Like, I don't know how you did it. Like, I don't know if I could do that for my loved one. And I, you know, I was always shocked when people told me that Mm. because I'm like, I I would not, I don't see it any other way. I would not, not have done it. Right. Right. Like I would, uh, there was never a question. No, there was never a question about it. So I was always like, just taken back by that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other things. Well, what surprised you most about that whole process? Was there some at some point where you're like, "Huh," or just maybe some? Well, I, I'll ask this a different way. So clearly, you were at a crossroads in your career, right? Right, and it's almost like this was supposed to happen. Yep, I I'll never forget like hanging up the phone with my brother and like, and my, we were on a three-way call when it was all kind of like, this is what the plan was going to be. And thinking like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Cause I think many people question like, am I in the right job? Am I on the right path in life? Um, and I remember thinking like, I was meant to be here, you know, like this, I'm supposed to be at Life Center. I'm supposed to be at this job because prior to Life Center, I had no connection to donation. I never had a family member that was a donor. I had never had a family member that was waiting. So I just got into it because I thought it was amazing Mm -hmm. what Christiane did. So I think looking back, like it really makes you believe like, wow, things do happen Mm -hmm. for a reason Mm -hmm. because... I, it's still, sometimes I look back and it's very unreal of right. what I went through. Right. And I kind of, when I tell my story and people always ask like, how'd you get your job and stuff? And I'll explain it to them, but I'm like, hold on, let me give you, let me just add to that, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause I believe that I was put here to do that. Right. Um, right. And another thing kind of threw my personal life out there. Like I was at an age where, you know, I've never married, never have kids. And I really do believe if at that point, like I was just getting married and I was wanting to have kids or I had babies, like 
I maybe wouldn't have been picked as a match because it yeah. wouldn't have been what was right for me. Yeah. And that is one thing that was, I knew about, but I was shocked about how much it was really based about like, you know, you don't have to do this. Like right. I met with a psychologist. I remember even my brother was not present at any of my appointments, but my mom was. And there was one appointment where the doctor was like, hey, your mom needs to leave a room. And I said, okay. And she, he's like, and he like, we had a very serious conversation about like, you do not need to do this. Not that he was talking me out, but he's like, you need to know, like, if you're not comfortable with this, he goes, even as you're rolling to the OR, if you raise your hand and say, I'm not doing this, it's okay. Wow. And we would just tell Brian that you, and that unfortunately things did not work out and you were not a match. Mm -hmm. No, ex no explanations why it wasn't my choice. It's just, you are not a match. Mm. So I think that was one thing I was very, I don't want to be surprised, but comforted by yeah. that. It literally is. It's, it's okay. If you didn't want to be, and if you got scared and you could have said no. Mm -hmm. And I really, again, I believe if I was thinking of having kids or having little kids, they would have, you know, cause they take that into account. Like mm -hmm. I may have not have been a match. Right. So I really believe like, you know what, like, this is why, like, I haven't made that right journey in my so life. This is why you are where you are right. in your life at this moment. Like you are, you know, I think especially as women and you and I have had conversations, mm -hmm. this we're all like, well, why hasn't this happened? Or why did this happen? Or so on and so forth. But it's like, ultimately, we're exactly where we're supposed to be. Right. And I, I think that was completely confirmed by this whole experience for you. Yes, it was. Because again, like I wouldn't take it back and I would do it all over again. Oh. All over again. Yep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I bet you're your mom's favorite, huh? I'm just <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe you have but you know, like I'll, I'll never forget, like when we were getting tested, it was, the day between appointments, my mom, like, you know, just reminded me, like, Courtney, like, are you okay? Like, is, you know, you know, you don't have to do this. And I was like, yeah, like, why are you asking me that question, mom? Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, but I'm going to do this. And I remember right. me and my brother went and got dinner and I remember him, we pulled up to the restaurant and it was just me and him. And he stops and he's like, Courtney, I just want you to know, like, you don't have to do this. You know that. And I'm said. Yeah, I know, but I'm going to do it because right. the stubborn person I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I just want you to know that. And I was like, yeah, I know, but I'm going to. Oh, yeah. well, thank you. Like, thank you for just, I mean, that's, that's a deeply personal experience, um, but has had clearly a huge impact on your life. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate you just sharing the experience with our listeners yeah. um, to give them more insight. You know, our goal with the podcast is really to, I know we talk about educating people about organ, eye, and tissue, mm -hmm. tissue donation, but I really want to just give people like a really, like an inside look as to what this is. Cause I think a lot of people just don't know. And so this allows us the opportunity to really talk about different aspects. So I appreciate you sharing. Of course, I'm glad I did. Good. <laughs> so um, we round out the episodes with our rapid fire oh, questions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so do you have a nickname? Yes, Boppy. Boppy. So my nickname's 
boppy because when I was growing up, I lived on a farm and my, I lived across the hay field from my grandma and grandpa. And when I was, you know, a baby child, you know, mm-hmm. I would always, always want the grandma and grandpa's house apparently every day. And every day, every time the hay got high, grandpa would watch me and all he would see is like my little head bopping <laughs> with my baby dolls in the hay field. And he'd be like, Oh, here comes Boppy. Cause I just, my head's just bopping in the hay field. That's all I'd see. So my nickname's Boppy. Oh, I love that. That's the answer that I didn't know. Oh my gosh. Um, what is one goal you have for this year? Mm. My girl, I donated piece of my portion of my liver a few years ago. I don't achieved all of my goals. No. Oh my gosh. I really, I don't, that's a good question. I feel like I need to go reevaluate what I'm doing <laughs> myself this year because it's almost over with. Thank goodness. Right. Um, <laughs> and if you don't, that's okay. Yeah. You know what? I think a goal that I, I'm trying to work on, and it's not that I've really written down and say, oh, this is my goal for the year. But one thing I'm trying to do is be like more present in situations mm-hmm. that's in the moment of like actually listening, putting down my phone, not looking at my phone and being present when I'm with like friends or family. Um, I think that's one thing I'm really trying to work on Okay, for myself. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, that's a good goal. Favorite restaurant? Hmm. Can I go category of food? Just, yeah, if you can. Pizza. Pizza. Okay. <laughs> I, love, I pizza. love pizza. Actually, um, Ryan, my boyfriend, asked me, he's like, so what do you want to do for your birthday? Like, go out to dinner or whatever. And I said, you know what I want? I want pizza and ice cream because those are my two favorite food groups. <laughs> so what's your favorite pizza? Uh, just pepperoni. Is there a pizza place? Um, we had Goodfellas last night, which was really good. Jets, you could never go wrong. Jets is amazing. It is. The crust is the best. I didn't get turned on the Jets and it was here. Someone ordered it and I was like, this is really good. Love me some pizza. Yes. Yes. Um, What's your favorite place to visit? Denver, Colorado. Love it. Um, Obviously I have, right. I'm literally, well, my brother lives in California now, but I used to say peace of me. Yeah. Peace of me lives there. (laughs) Um, I used to say that in Denver. Yeah. But, um, I love I love Colorado. I do. Yeah. It's one of my favorite places. There's so much to do out there. I love when you're like coming in and you see the mountains mm-hmm. and it's the weather's great. Mm-hmm. I just I love Denver. Yeah. Favorite band? I love Dirk Bentley. Country. Okay. Yes. All right. What's <laughs> your favorite song? My favorite by him. If I had to just like pick one, I'm really into his new song, Living. Mm. It's a really good, like fun. Um, and I would say my next one is probably Riser. 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 Okay. I'm going to have to check those out. Okay. Well, that's all I have. Okay. So again, thank you so much. Yes. Uh, for taking time out to. So glad you asked me. Yeah, <laughs> you were you were on my list, so I was glad we were able to make this work. So as we close out today, I, I just for me, some of the biggest takeaways from our conversation are that number one, donation is not this linear experience. 
right? And well, life isn't linear. And I like how you really just talked about, you know, it, it was a rough go. Like mm-hmm. that, that recovery was not easy, mm-hmm. but you, you pushed through, you made it and you're doing great. Yeah. And your brother's doing great. Yeah. One thing I was going to add to that too, is that a lot, what they did not prepare me for. And I remember having a conversation with my doctor about this is yes, I like to work out and I like to do CrossFit. And I remember for the longest time, like I want to say almost a year and a half, two years into it, I was not where I was pre-surgery. And it was the most frustrating thing. And I remember my surgeon saying like, Courtney, you know what? Like you have these expectations that are up here and that is where you're trying to get. And it's going to take time because it took you time to get there to begin with. And literally, and I had to remind myself, like in that moment of that incision, everything that I worked so hard for was gone. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget. I had some major, major abdominal, like, like just abdominal pain from the incision. And I'll never forget going my first OR and like my ribs hurting. Cause you know, they, how they have to open up things like, right. It's just brought back memories. And, um, I remember them joking around there. They weren't joking, but they were serious, but I thought they were joking. They're like, you, your abs are so strong. And I'm like, I don't know what abs you guys are talking about. Cause I don't see any, <laughs> but you know, they're like, oh yeah, you're gonna hit. And I remember her telling me like, you might be in a lot more pain because we really hit a pool. Like you were so tight. And I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Cause I do not see abs looking in the mirror, <laughs> but it was like, and so it was, yeah. you know, I thought I, you know, they say recovery, you'll be back to normal mm-hmm. in 12 weeks. Well, and you probably thought because you were like, you are like a freak of nature anyway, because you're, (laughs) I mean, you're just, you're very fit. uh, You look great and you, and you work hard. And so if I, if that were me, I think I'm going to bounce back quicker. Right. No, no. Nope. So when that didn't happen, you're like, (laughs) right. I was was a little, it was a little devastating at first. Yeah. So it took a lot longer than I thought. So yeah. Wow. On that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and so too, just as we were saying, it's not this linear, like this happens and then everything is perfect. You know, mm-hmm. your, your brother's life obviously is different. He's healthy. He's mm-hmm. here. He's ta- he's probably going to be on some kind of medication for most of his life, yep. but he's here for his family and his, his boys and mm-hmm. I just, so for me, that's the biggest takeaway. I just, I think people, um, as they're learning about donation and transplantation, uh, we never want to like pretend that it's this fairy tale experience. I mean, we hear these beautiful stories of people having a second chance at life and all of these positive outcomes, but it, it, it's a tough road. Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely worth it. But it is a tough road and you have to fight. And I think it's just your your brother is blessed to have you. And, I, you know, I don't think there's any other way, appro- appropriate way for you to say thank you mm-hmm. to him than giving this gift for right. everything that he gave to you Correct. growing yeah. up. Yeah. So, all right. So at the end, as we close out the show, uh, we like to do what we do, what we call an honor moment. And so... Um, this is a time where we honor 
someone or a group of people who have helped others. And so I'd like to take this moment to just honor you, Courtney. Thank you. Honor you um, just for this selfless act, um, something that you didn't have to do, but but knew in your heart that it was the right thing to do for you. So thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. So with that, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you. We'll see you again soon. This episode is brought to you by Life Center. You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others. Those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By designating your decision to become a donor, you have the opportunity to change the lives of many and save up to eight lives. Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana say yes to donation by registering to become an organ, eye, or tissue donor today. Go to lifepassiton.org for more information. Thanks to LifeSetter for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow. 